Hey guys, JC here. You know, music has played such a huge part in our slow fade out of legalism <laughs> from groups like Casting, Casting Crowns, Crowns Forham, Stephen Curtis Chapman, and so many others that showed us that we could actually love Jesus in the 4-4 time with drumbeat and not immediately lose our souls. <laughs> and one of the things that has us so excited here at the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast is partnering with J Radio. It's a brand new Christian and positive music streaming platform, and there is music for everyone there. Classic Christian music from the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Brian. <laughs> Hip-hop, oh, rock, on, and yes, even Bill and Gloria Gaither are what gets you pumped up. Then Southern Gospel is there, too. They have mood music for your next hangout party or your road trip. From groups like John Mark McMillan to John Paul George and Ringo, check out our friends at jradio.com for the best in Christian and positive music or download their app on the Android or iPhone app when it comes to your app store. Y'all ready to get the show started? Let's get it started. Let's, get it Let's go. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. There'll be seven frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the RFP Podcast this week. We're your hosts, Nathan, JC, and Brian. How you doing, guys? We're well. Great. We are three pastors who are recovering fundamentalists, and we've been set free from the chains of legalism. That doesn't mean that we're completely out. We still struggle. We are still recovering, but we've been having these conversations around this topic for years. We just decided to invite you into this conversation, and we have been absolutely blown away by the response. JC, what did we hit this week on downloads? Just over 30,000 downloads. I don't even know what to say to that. It's our third episode. That is amazing. It's awesome. Mm. So we're going to be talking about life and ministry before, during, and after legalism that is prevalent in the churches that we grew up in. And we exist to help and encourage those whose lives have been negatively affected by fundamentalist legalism in the church and to challenge those who promote tradition over scripture. And three reasons we're here. We want to help, as Brian just said, and that's those that are coming out of legalism. We want to encourage those who have come out that what you're doing is not wrong. It's not sinning. We want to encourage you to continue to grow in your faith in Jesus. And then we want to challenge. We want to challenge those that are stuck in legalism, those that are promoting legalism. And, you know, guys, Twitter is a great place that we've been seeing legalism promoted here recently. Yes, we have. And Brian, you made a post this week that just, it, it really spoke to me. Do you have access to that to read it to us? Yeah, I can read it for you. It says, believe something other than what a fundamentalist believes, and you will be called effeminate, homosexual, apostate, liberal, compromiser, stupid, moron, unbeliever, lily-livered, chihuahua, etc. I've been called these <laughs> names recently without apology, but we're the ones with the problem. A little chihuahua. You were called a chihuahua this week, weren't you? Yeah, I sure was. You know, I've never <laughs> been called a chihuahua in my life. You like don't know how to respond to that because honestly, if you put a chihuahua and a, a Doberman in a ring, I honestly think the chihuahua would win. 
I mean, there's yeah, a lot they, of fighting a little chihuahua. Just so little, cute. They and don't cuddly. know how little they are. <laughs> so somebody retweeted. Some, somebody responded back to that and said, uh, "Let them hear your bark, big dog." Did you see that? They said, let them hear your bark, big dog. But what I did see this week, and I shared this with you guys in our group chat, which, by the way, if the rest of the world could be a, have a little glimpse into that group chat, we, it's, I don't know if the world's ready for that It's on a whole nother level. It is a whole nother <laughs> level. But uh, this is a video I share with you guys, and I just, I'm just going to let you listen to the audio. And uh, this is coming out uh, this week. Listen to this. I like what Al Acey said one time up at Pastor School. I don't agree with everything Al Acey might have said or taught about the King James Bible, but I like this. He said, you show me a man that says the King James Bible is a non-issue, and I'll show you the lace on his pink underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding amen, me? Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, all right. Don't tell me he has not watched a movie. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Legalistic. Well, you know, it's just, it's so sad, isn't it, to think, you know, to talk like that, first of all, and then... You know, to act as if every man who doesn't preach from the King James Bible, by the way, he probably doesn't realize this, but everyone on the planet who doesn't speak English, they're not preaching from the King James Bible. So basically what he's saying is the missionaries we support in foreign countries are all wearing underwear with pink <laughs> lace. Mm. So Brian, sir, what color is the lace on your drawers? <laughs> Guys. Everything it's a whole other level right now. <laughs> everything I wear is blue jean. <laughs> oh my goodness! I had a tweet at one of them this week because sent a picture to one of the guys that was barking pretty loud, and this picture is thousands of people with their hands raised, and the guy that preached at this gathering is a Baptist pastor. He loves Jesus. He preached Jesus hates sin. He preached that God's grace is there for those who believe in Him. But he didn't use a King James Bible. And so my question was, is this fake? Are they saved? Because he didn't use the perfect King James Bible. He didn't know that was a Kanye West gathering. Adam Tyson is the Baptist pastor that's traveling Reformed with Kanye. Reformed Baptist pastor. Yeah, and he's preaching the gospel, man, hard. Master and seminary guy. Kanye's the draw, no doubt. But the gospel is what's changing their lives. And my question is to these guys, if it's not the King James Bible, are they really saved? Because you're saying if it's not the King James Bible that you were saved under its teaching, you're not really saved. And that, that was the question I asked, and it came back with, I could win people to the Lord with a Catholic Bible. And I was like, well, if you're using a 1611, you're halfway there, hashtag yeah. Apocrypha. But, <laughs> yes. Isn't it well, you Jack Howes that said the King James is the seed word, so yeah. you have to use the King James yes. for someone to actually That's get exactly saved? exactly right. Yeah, one of the guys this week posted a clip where um, one of the guys was preaching and he talked about the fact, you know, that English is becoming, you know, a dominant language around the world and people in other countries are learning English. And he was literally saying the only reason God is allowing people in other countries to learn English is so they can read the King James Bible. My I gosh. mean, think about that. The Spanish Bible predates the King James Bible. Uh, you know, it's just the whole argument completely falls apart. JC, to go back to your point just now, one of the things I thought of several years ago, you know, the Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right. So faith and the word of God are connected. Well, think about it. If God gave English speaking people a superior word, that means we have a superior salvation to everyone else on the face of the planet. As if God loves English speaking people that much. Mm. It really leads to a whole lot of issues when you begin teaching extra biblical doctrines, which is interesting that 
the doctrine of the Bible becomes an extra biblical yeah. uh, doctrine yes. because they're teaching things that the Bible doesn't even claim for itself. This is going to be an episode or three or four. I think we got some guys <laughs> that could really come in here and start sharing on this topic. Guys, we received some feedback this week, and I wanted to share one of these notes and questions uh, from a friend. And he said, hey, guys, I recently found your podcast and love it. While I have never been a part of an IFB church, my pastor came out of Hugh Piles Church in Panama City, Florida, and the movement itself to be a Southern Baptist pastor. I graduated from Piedmont Bible College, Piedmont Baptist College, now Piedmont International University, which used to be an IFB college. Shout out Tennessee Temple. Yep. <laughs> Outside of preaching in one independent fundamental church for a good friend of mine, I've only had secondhand knowledge and experience with the IFB. Recently, the reason I say all that is to give background to my question. I listened to all three episodes last night, and Thank this you. morning in my quiet time, I was in Mark 9, 38 through 42. How would an IFB preacher expound that passage who actually preach expository sermons? Just curious Keep up the good work. So let's look at Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to 42. That, thank you very much. That was a great question. And this is the passage he was referencing. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Isn't that interesting that Jesus mm -hmm. responds that someone who is not in our circle, someone who's not in our camp, but is serving God, Jesus is reproving his disciples and saying, don't speak out against them, don't fight against them. They're not against us, they're for us. That's to me, is the total opposite of what the elitism of the IFB is saying anybody that disagrees with them, they call them effeminate. They say they have pink on their drawers. And uh, among other things, that's one of the nice uh, censored things we can share on the air that they say about us. But uh, mm -hmm. calling, Brian, you got called an absolute apostate this week because of a yes. statement you made about the King James Version. Yeah, I was just pointing out the fact that there were verse changes, word changes, meaning changes between 1611 and 1769. If the 1611 was indeed perfect, then why were there changes made from 1611 to 1769? By the way, to JC's point earlier, how can you say you believe the 1611 King James Bible and not believe the Apocrypha because it was included? One of the responses that I got back said that my, my response to that is an intellectual lie. The Apocrypha is not in the canon. It was between the Testaments and even King James and his writings did not accept it. Hmm. Huh? It's included. I mean, how do you it's say there. it's not included? So let's get back to this question. So his question is, how would an independent fundamental Baptist exposit or expound this passage? Brian, do you have any idea how an independent fundamental guy might get around Jesus saying, if they're not against me, they're for me? Well, you know, first of all, I think there was an inclusivity in, in Jesus' comment. Second of all, you know, would someone speak evil of Jesus who had the faith to perform a miracle? I mean, in that passage, if they're going to be performing a miracle, 
then they must have faith to a degree. Why would they speak evil of him? Um, I think sometimes, you know, we, we brand people who are different than us evil. Mm. And yet they may be about the same mission we're about. For example, a little while back, uh, there's a guy who's pastoring a church in an inner city. He's literally covered with tattoos from his neck to his feet. The ministry he has looks totally different than anything I've ever been a part of. The way he's reaching people looks completely different than any method I've ever used. And yet, if you think about it, I would say of this man as he's passionately preaching the gospel in the inner city and reaching a different audience than I will ever reach or we will ever reach, can we really say, hey, he's against us? Look at look at the tattoos. Look look at the ministry methods he's using. This man is evil. Hmm. I think Jesus was saying, be careful what you call evil when it's done in my name. Would someone really be doing something in my name and uh, be completely against me? And I, I know I know the name of Jesus is misused, and so no need for people to send in emails or letters. We know that. Right. And Jesus but, uh, knew that when he said this. Yes. But I think he was laying down a precedent that we're not fighting against other other Christians. We're supposed to be unified. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're on the same team. Hey, do you guys think most IFB preachers preach expository sermons? <laughs> that's that's the real answer to this question, because my experience growing, I'm sure there are guys out there, and I know there are some that do. Yeah. Very few, by my opinion, and Brian, you can probably speak into this a little bit more, but my experience growing up for 20 plus years in the IFB world, very little expository preaching. Yeah. Well, I can just speak personally. JC, I was asked to speak a little while back at a church planting cohort in North Carolina. And uh, when I went to speak at this cohort uh, that day, they were talking about this very subject. And uh, they asked the question about this very thing, expository preaching. And I said, well, you know, there was a time when I viewed the text as a diving board and then my opinion as the pool. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, when when viewed correctly, the scripture is the diving board and the pool. Yeah. And, you know, you just get started and then you swim in that text throughout your message. I had a pastor recently get in touch with me and he said, you know, your your preaching is frustrating sometimes because you never leave the text. You never say what the text doesn't say. You just go line by line simply through the text. How do, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, I mean, the Bible doesn't say man should live by bread alone and by the words of the pastor. It's it's talking about the, the Bible. <laughs> like, I think too many times what we do is we tend to try to add to Scripture and make it, and this is where you get in trouble, and this is where a lot of these clips on Twitter come from. It's guys adding to Scripture, making Scripture say something that it doesn't say to fit a narrative, to fit their prerogative on something that they want to get across. And so they'll take a verse like this and twist it in certain ways. You said something funny a few weeks ago that, you know, I was walking through the mall and I saw that, you know, there was half price stuff. And that made me think, you know, tonight's sermon is not for sale. Like my my soul is not for sale. You know, they take Mm -hmm. an idea and find a verse that sounds like despite context, despite historical background, despite any of the actual meaning of the passage. I mean, let's take, for example, one that's always used out of context, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there too. You know, that's normally said when you're thinking, okay, we got a smaller crowd than I was hoping for tonight, but the Lord says where two or three are gathered, amen. That's talking about church discipline. You know, if they would get to the actual meat of what that verse is talking about, which is church discipline, 
They wouldn't use that verse in context because heaven forbid they do any church discipline other than calling people out in front of the, the congregation. You know what I mean? We need to do an episode on exegesis versus oh. eisegesis. Yes. And that's what I was getting ready to say. Everybody needs to look up those two words, exegesis versus eisegesis. Google it. Yes. Very, <laughs> very important. You know, and I think another thing, Nathan, to, to just flip back to that text for just a moment, you know, this this person that Jesus was speaking of, they were promoting um, the same interest. They they weren't against Christ or his disciples. Let's just be honest. So often we choose sides in a battle. Um, you know, recently Denise and I we were we were traveling and we were riding by some of the old fields, the battlefields from the Civil War. Think about how sad it was that all of those young men died out there in those fields for a cause that in the end, let's just be honest, they they didn't really have a cause that survived or a cause that lasted. Yeah. And you know, you you look at, you know, we're choosing sides. We're gonna battle each other. You're either for this or you're against this. And I think sometimes we have a militant mentality with regard to other people who are not exactly like us. And yet, you know, if they're not against us or they're not against Christ, then why in the world would we draw battle lines and go to war? Yeah, and I think there are going to be a lot of people in heaven, a lot of our independent fundamental brothers in heaven that will hear Jesus say one day, why did you major on the minors and minor on the majors? Why did you build mm -hmm. your entire ministry on something that is not a, a primary doctrine and not uh, something that, that you really need to spend time fighting over. It's not a hill to die on. Yeah. Right. You know, a conviction is something you're willing to die for. So I think, you know, I'm asking the question, you know, would I die for cool lots? <laughs> wow. Would I die? Would I die for Southern gospel? Would I die? And you know, the other thing about this that really doesn't fit that narrative, you know, look, look at this, the people who are dying as martyrs in the middle East, They've never been to a Baptist church. Yeah. They've never even heard the expression old time religion. And they can't speak the King's English. No. And yet, you know what they're doing? Uh, I, I heard recently, this was so awesome. A wife who had her husband, her young husband had just been beheaded and she had been left with uh, children. They were young. They were already in an impoverished nation and her husband was beheaded. And so here she is now a widow with young children already in poverty. And they ask her the question, how, how do you feel about this? And she started talking about how thankful she was that her husband didn't deny his faith. And so these men made a commitment that right before their heads are severed from their bodies, the last thing they yell out is the name of Jesus yeah. in hopes that their murderers will actually hear the name of Jesus and repent. So think about it. They, they don't look like us. They don't sound like us. They don't. Um, they don't talk about what we talk about, and yet, man, th they are for the cause of Christ to the point that they're laying down their lives. Yeah, and you know, to add to that story, I was just reading that story the other day. That that's when ISIS was beheading those guys, and you see them in those orange jumpsuits out there on the on the beach. There was one guy, if you notice, that doesn't look like all of them. He's an Afri African American man, and these guys, their testimony was so strong because of their faith in Jesus that as they were being beheaded, he said, I want their Jesus. And he said, their God is my God. And they said the last thing that before he was beheaded, he cried out, I want Jesus. You know, and that that's crazy. Wow. He, he did not know. They didn't preach a sermon. Their life did. 
life song we're singing yes. right in that mm. moment they they didn't quote king james bible to them they spoke with their life and that man his life was taken in that instance and that that's what we're calling it's is it are we majoring on the minors are we turning molehills into mountains yeah. over these little nitpicky things that have been the way that we all it's the tradition that we're used to so in expounding that text nathan i would say this there are those people who are not like us. For example, let's just be honest, in the Middle East, their religious affiliation is often blended with several religious traditions. Yeah. And yet, guess what? They are not against us. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is working in their That's life, it. and they are in the process of sanctification. Well, thank you, everybody who is contributing and commenting and sending us your stories and your questions. Guys, I believe the intellectual IQ level of our listeners is through the roof. Yeah. They are adding yes. something to us and asking great questions and hearing their stories is incredible. But today we are here to hear JC's story. JC, brother, I'm excited about hearing what God has to share through you today. Yeah, man. And I, I want to start up front. You know, I, I love that I get to go last because I've gotten to listen to both of y'all's stories. And it's amazing mm -hmm. how they're all three different but very similar. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I want to say up front, uh, I, I appreciate y'all's transparency and vulnerability over these last uh, couple episodes of sharing. And uh, uh, I've been, you know, writing my story down, thinking about it, praying about it. And, you know, how much detail do you go into? And, and I want to say up front, I want to I want to honor some folks, but I also want to be honest yeah. during this podcast. And guys, this has been a tough week for me. Um, my papa passed away uh, just three days ago. Uh, suddenly my dad is in the hospital with pneumonia. And, and you know, those are two men that I want to honor, but I also want to be honest about our relationship and, and things that have gotten us to this point. And so I, I pray that my heart will come through that I'm not trying to demean or belittle these guys, but their, their role in my life up to this point has played a big part, both positively and negatively at times. And so oh, I want to be great. honest about that. And, you know, from the earliest moments and memories of my life, um, I can remember being surrounded by this thing called legalism, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, I remember uh, I always felt like I wasn't good enough, like I could never measure up. And a lot of that stemmed from my papa and my dad, and it carried over into my adult life. Uh, up until just a few years ago, man, this was something that really held me on the legalism. When we talk about the chains of legalism, it really was something that carried over to my life and it affected pastors, the way I viewed pastors, other preachers, ministries, myself. Um, thankfully, I, I am thankful for the foundation that I had uh, growing up. You know, I was in Awana. I was an Awana kid. We, we come from Indiana, and uh, my dad was part of a very, very legalistic church and school in Indiana. I can remember at the youngest age of seven, eight years old, going to camp meetings and, and tent revivals and <laughs> sitting at those things and not being allowed to, to listen to like music with beat. And so the most worldly thing we could listen to was the <laughs> harmonica boys. And I wanted to be them. They had this guy that put this little harmonica in his mouth and he just played it like a ventriloquist. I was like, this is incredible. My dad was like, wow, you can be one of them someday. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, but I remember growing up just in this legalistic mindset. I'm thankful. And, and this is something both of you said, and I want to make sure we stress this. We are thankful for the, the background that we have, the, our past, because it's really laid a good foundation for us. It's the legalism 
that we're coming against that we're talking about. I'm glad I went through Awana, even though it has its own fair share of stuff. Man, I was a cubby and a spark and a pal and a pioneer, and I went back and did the Ooh. Timothy Awards and the Excellence Award. I was Frank Hobart, who's our missionary when we moved here. I was kind of like the golden child. I'd get up on stage at 11 years old and sing, Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? You remember that song, Brian? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, at I 11. I have you no, so much right now. I have no I idea what that song meant at 11, but I was singing it, you know. And But I'm thankful for Awana. Miss Myrna, Myrna Smith, you know her name, yeah. you know, in her choir. There's so many people that, that there's too many to name in my story that have laid mm. the foundation for who J.C. Groves is today. And as I grew up, uh, dad, you know, took me to tent meetings. And I remember at some of those camp meetings, man, the preachers that would get up, they were literally scaring the hell out of me. Oh yeah, uh, There were so many times yes. that I was terrified, just such emotion that I could feel even as a kid. I remember seven, eight, nine years old feeling that emotion, just that emotionalism and running to the altar and that old sawdust out there and, and, and begging God to save my soul. God, I don't want to miss the rapture. I don't want to go to hell. Mm -hmm. And it was such fear-based. And from the earliest memories of my life, I was so scared the rapture was going to happen. And I was going to yes. miss it. I mean, my theme song was, there's a new name written down in pencil. You know, that's what I felt like I lived like. Because I was like, did I just do wrong? Are we free real Baptists now? You know, did I, did I, you know, do the right thing? Is my salvation here? Was it real? Guys, I've been saved a bajillion times. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't even know yeah. if bajillion's a number. But like just asking God to save me again. And it was almost like I got my fire insurance. I got this get out of hell free card. You know, I could do whatever I wanted to because as long as I get saved, it, as long as I go through the motions, you know what I mean? And uh, we moved to, to Tennessee uh, back when I was probably 10, maybe 11 years old. Dad went to Tennessee Temple, and uh, he started pastoring a, a chapel of Highland Park. Um, so Lee Robertson actually had multi-site before it was a big thing. <laughs> he, mm -hmm. uh, he started, Dad was the pastor at Old Stone Baptist Church, and I can remember growing up there in Ringgold, where I pastor a church now, and uh, growing up, Dad was the pastor at Old Stone Baptist Church. I tell him that he, he sucked as a pastor because that place is a museum now. And I was like, good job, Dad. You turned it into a museum. Um, but he was the last pastor there. And and growing up through that, uh, there was just this weirdness of legalism that I even sensed from the time I was earliest memories that continued to press on into life. There was one way at church and another way at home. And I started seeing this from an early age that something wasn't right. Something wasn't matching up. Um, you know, we were legalistic to the core. And I don't think that dad was a, a, a legalist by choice. I think he was a, a creature of the culture that he was in because he grew up wow. Presbyterian. JC stands for John Calvin. Try to be an independent fundamental Baptist with a name like John Calvin. <laughs> now y'all know why I go by JC. You know what I mean? And my mom's got you in her, so I'm predestined and chosen. I'm going, guys. Dude. It's great. We're all the way in. Oh, goodness. I knew you'd like that joke, Nate. You're Reformed Baptist. Thank you. <laughs> but we were legalistic to the core. I mean, we swam in blue jeans, no music with a beat. I mean, I was homeschooled kindergarten through 12th grade. John R. Rice's great grandkids were some of our best friends. Like, that's who we hung out with. It was, it was our culture. I never forget when it started changing, though. My mom got saved late in life. After living this fake life, if you will, she found true grace. She mm. found what real relationship with Jesus was. I'll never forget it. Uh, she drugged Dad literally to this worldly, evil, horrible Greens concert. The Greens, Tim, Tony, Southern and Gospel. it was, it was uh, <laughs> oh, what's the lady's no. name? Amy? Was it Amy that sang with them before Taranda? No, Kim. No, not their sister, the other lady. Anyhow, uh, Amy yeah, Lambert. Miranda Green. No, 
I don't remember who it was. It was before Taranda and, and anyhow. You're talking about the redheaded girl. Yeah, I can't remember I don't her, name. Know her Any, name. Long story short, we went to that concert, and my mom gave her life to Jesus. Tim was up there sharing the gospel, and mom got saved. And I'll never forget. He's like, "Ma'am, Kathy, we're so happy to have you in the family." And I was like, "Who was that?" I look at my mom. She's sitting her I was like, "You just got saved. What is what does that mean? I mean, you you've been doing all this external religious stuff, but it was it was just fake." Yeah. And you know, I I remember watching that, and that. That's the best word that I think can describe my childhood, my life up to that point. Um, I remember when mom started coming out of this legalistic back mindset. We we started listening to J103, where we're recording today, our new partnership here. Uh, it was RX107 when it first started, and mom started listening to that for him, Point of Grace, and just hearing the words of that song, and we couldn't get past the beat because that was what was worldly. But mom started asking questions, why do we do this? She never once doubted or went against my dad, even though there was a lot of opportunity to. Um, dad was was very uh, difficult person to live with, very abusive mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, and, you know, I, I look back now and I'm like, man, how in the world did mom stay? Uh, just this past week, my dad's in the hospital with pneumonia. And I said, you know, you're, you're an incredible person. And she said these words, I made a vow before God, sickness and health for better, for worse till death alone shall part us. And I was like, my goodness, she's a, mm. she's a testimony yeah. of God's grace because I mean, a lot of people would have duck tail and run, but she stayed yes. in that through, through and all JC, that. JC, that is, I know you've struggled with sharing that because you do want to honor your dad yeah. and your family, but we had this conversation privately that there are numerous people in our audience yeah. who have been abused by the man of God or by you know, uh, uh, a female in the church and they not sexually either. Yeah. Physical, physically, emotionally, even sexually. Yeah. Um, all all categories. We've received all those stories from our listeners and you thought it was important that you share that. Now you want to be careful with it, but we want our listeners to deal with this and to process this and to get help and move on past it. God, wants to use the evil that happened to you in your life like he did in your life, JC, for our good and for his glory. And I'll say this. I mean, (laughs) I didn't like my dad growing up. In fact, I borderlined on hate. I mean, there was a lot of times I saw some of the things he was doing to mom. I saw the way that he reacted to me. He he came from that culture of break the will of the child, and he took that to heart. And daggum, he almost did. But (laughs) I said, we're not going to go that way. You know, it was, was, there was a lot of mental, uh, just physical abuse that took place there to, I I can't tell you guys how many times from my own dad that I was told I was a reprobate, that I was rebellious, that I was given in to a reprobate mind. And it was because I, Brian, you said this and man, it hit home on your story. When you said, I wasn't afraid of sinning. I was afraid of disappointing my dad. Mm, And man, that's where I lived in such ways where he just became this God in my life that I wanted to please him so much that everything I did became about that. Yeah, and I said early on in, I think it's probably the first preview episode that we did, that, hey, we're not snowflakes that need therapy. And we had one lady that, thank the Lord, she responded and said, hey, guys, I know what you're saying, but that can be some dangerous terminology because there are a lot of people out there that need therapy, not because they're snowflakes, but because they need to process the things that they've experienced and been through in life. Yeah, you know, and JC, to hear you share that, and I I have to own part of that as well, it really distorts your view of God Yeah, when the man who represents God 
initiates fear in you. Yeah. You know, you don't know how to think in terms of a father. You know, the moment that really turned my life around, um, I was in a large high school. Within the first month, I was in big trouble. As a matter of fact, had I stayed at that school within the first month, they were going to put me in in in-school suspension every day for the rest of the year. And so I came home. My dad was sitting uh, on a swing. Dad asked me how school was, and, uh, of course, I just said, Oh, you know, it's school, and my dad invited me to come over and sit down on the swing with him, and he looked at me right in the face, and he said, Brian, you are a liar. Mm. And in that moment, man, I expected all of the wrath and all of the fury that I'd always received to come pouring out of my dad, and instead he started crying. Yeah. And he looked at me, and this is what he said. He said, Brian, you can go all the way to the bottom. You can ruin my name. You can ruin your testimony. You can ruin everything. But when you get down to the very bottom, look next to you, and I'll be there. Mm. Wow. I started crying. I couldn't get away from it. Here I was, this rebellious teenager, wasn't afraid of anything, didn't want anything to do with God. And it was not up until that that I think I really even started how to started even realizing how to understand God as a father because mm. I live through what you're describing. Yeah. And, you know, that was where my life, I love my dad. I really do. And I mean, our relationship in the last two years has not been the greatest. Um, you know, there's, we're working through this, but I really believe in restoration, you know, and, and I see, I see how our relationship is and guys, I want to raise my six kids so different, telling them I love them and hugging them. That's something that I missed as a kid growing up because it was do church, look good, make sure everything's right. And, and I want them to know that they don't have to please me. I love them not because of what they do, but because of who they are. Mm-hmm. And I know that my Amen. dad loves me. Um, just had a weird way of showing it in certain yeah. ways. And you know that, and my papa, I mean, who just passed away three days ago, I, I wanted to please that man so much because I watched this guy pastor a church for well over 40 years. And, you know, I started traveling, singing Southern gospel. I'll never forget a conversation that me and had me and Papa had as he was at a very legalistic, independent, fundamental Baptist church. And early on when I was singing, I remember him pulling me into my office and telling me that he loved me, but I had to be different if I was going to sing or preach at his church, because that's the way the church was. He said, I, I, I love you, but everything about you I don't approve of. And that's where I went to college. He went to Bob Jones. I didn't go there. I went to Pensacola for a couple of days and got kicked out. And then I ended up at Tennessee Temple, which was super worldly. Um, you know, and so everything I did up to this point in life into teenage years was wanting to please Papa and to please Dad. And I wanted to please him so much that it spilled over to every area of my life. I was living for man's acceptance instead of God in every area of my life, guys. Brian, Nate, I was yeah. fake. I had done everything I can remember back as far from sitting in that first camp meeting where I was scared to death, I started making checklists. And I would pull out my checklist all the time. Okay, I'm at church. Check. I'm singing for God today. Check. I, I, I'm a good person. Check. I, I got a suit on today. Check. 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 Uh, you know, I, I went to Tennessee Temple, and I got way too many stories to tell about that. That's a whole other episode in itself. But I started singing for him, traveling Southern Gospel. Check. I started figuring out I could preach and communicate. Check. Um, I played Jesus in the Chattanooga Passion Play when I got to Tennessee Temple for five years. I mean, you can't get more Christian than playing Jesus. You know, I mean, I, my name's JC. Come on. That's his initials, you know. Check. Everything that I had done, though, and what I started realizing is I became so self-centered, everything was about JC. If it would make my name bigger, if it, if it would promote me, because I was so thriving in life off of man's approval. Yeah. 
And and I would do it, and I just started checking it. That led ultimately uh, to moving to North Carolina. I got engaged to be married to a girl, um, sitting in church 15 days before the wedding. Her dad's up preaching. I'll never forget it was out of Acts 9, and he talked about bumping into God. And I'll never forget this. It was as if God just came and said, J.C., I don't know you. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I did what I've done a thousand times. I pulled out my checklist. Look, God, here's my checklist. I'm sitting yep. in church. I'm marrying a pastor. I started going down the list, but there was something different. And uh, just long story short, uh, that was a crazy couple of days. I found myself sitting in my Jeep on old 601 Highway in Davis, North Carolina. The dude that was going to be my father-in-law was on the radio. And I don't know if I've ever told him this. So, Bruce, if you're listening, you really helped me that day because sitting there, he said, somebody is listening right now. You're teeter-tottering on eternity. You know how to look like a Christian and talk like a Christian, but you're fake. And the decision you make right now will change the course of your life for the rest of it and your eternity. And I remember sitting there and I just took my hands off the wheel I said, God, I I can't please anybody and earn my way into heaven. That's what I've been trying to do my whole life. I need you. And I'm telling you guys, for the first time in my life, I had preached about it. I had sung about it. I'd given invitations and be convicted about it. I had done all this stuff. I felt it. I knew something was real. I didn't see an image of Jesus come up on the windshield and the Holy Spirit didn't come through the air vents. But man, I knew it was real. And I knew that everything from that point on was going to change, mm-hmm. is going to be different. I went back, told that girl I was supposed to marry. Hey, I got saved and she didn't believe me, whatever. And so I said, whatever, I'm going home. I came home to Temple Baptist where I grew up in Chattanooga, where me and Nate went to school, uh, church together. And I walked in. The very first person I saw was Aaron Hampton. And I walked up to him. I said, Aaron, I gave my life to Jesus last night. He gave me a hug. He didn't say, are you sure? He didn't say, no, man, you, you've been, I grew you grew up at this church. We've watched you sing and preach and all this. He just said, I love you. I'm proud of you. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Got baptized That's that fantastic. day. I'll never forget. I come up out of the water and back there changing. I hear Nate. And I'm pretty sure that's the day you, yeah. you answered the call to preach. Yeah. I, I walk back out and Nate's standing up there and he's answering the call to preach. And I mean, it's just incredible how God works. And we're sitting here on this podcast. Nate, you know, even Brian from 20 plus years ago, you were part of that that culture there in Yakinville, And we didn't even know each other. And here's how God oh, yeah. continues to bring those paths together. That's actually where um, I surrendered to preach. Wow, it's crazy. I was um, I was in a, my dad was preaching a revival there, and at the close of the service one night, I was just tr- crying uncontrollably, and I knew that I couldn't run from God's call on my life any longer. Yeah. And so it was there. As a matter of fact, JC, it was in the old building. Oh yeah, that's the, where I was the, sitting. The okay, night the little center block building that yeah. they had before they built the big building. Yeah, that's where we on were at on that Swamp. Wednesday night on Booger Swamp Road. Booger Swamp Road, <laughs> man, and. Um, and so during the invitation, I just couldn't quit crying. And I actually went up, and this is how I, I let everyone know that I've been called. I said, I believe God's calling me to preach. If I'm wrong, I'll stop. Yeah. If he doesn't tell me to stop, then I'll just keep preaching. And that was, you know, 30-plus years ago. Yeah. And, and I've given him a lot of reasons to, but he hasn't told me to stop yet. That's it. You know, that's where we went. From that moment on, I got back to North Carolina. The, we called the wedding off moved back home to Chattanooga, and there was something different. I didn't know what I was supposed to do up to that point. I didn't know if I was supposed to sing or preach or what I was going to do, but there was a newness of life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things become new. I wasn't bad, per se, but I was fake. And there was something new about my life. And uh, I was living in this limbo. I knew that I was living for people's acceptance before, but my heart had changed. I said, God, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm willing to just whatever. We started a ministry, Young American Ministries, and that started ministry there to inner city kids, which was incredible. Uh, Drew gave me a job at Tennessee Temple, and I got to go travel and preach to high school students 
Christian school students who were living fake like me and just stand up and share my story. It was just incredible to see God move. And that led to almost 20 years of serving in ministry. And uh, I live for everybody's approval except for God. And it was exhausting. It was a treadmill. And, uh, you know, I guys, I, I love going down to Planet Fitness and walking on the treadmill, and I'll see these guys come in. I like going there because they have pizza on Tuesdays, by the way. And uh, <laughs> there was a guy, but there's always those guys that get in there and they run on the treadmill. And that's what legalism felt like to us up until that point in life from the earliest memories. It was like we were on this treadmill of religion, this treadmill of legalism. We were just doing, 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 and you cannot do enough. It gets exhausting. And that's why we Amen. find folks that, they get exhausted and worn out and they just quit altogether. They walk away from the church and, you know, thank God that he he got my attention. That's why this podcast, there's just this burning passion to help people who are stuck in the clutches of legalism. It's like an energy sucking vampire that they just, they, they don't see the hope. There's no hope in pressing on. And uh, that's the reason that we wanted to start this is it's a way of each of us have a story. We have a story to tell, and your story is his story lived out, and our history points to Jesus. And there's really two extremes, two possible outcomes of legalism, and we've <clears> talked <throat> about this before. One is you keep trying to measure up and measure up and measure up, and eventually you become arrogant and proud and think you yeah. are the elite Christian and no one yeah. is on your level. The other one is you realize you can never measure up, and you just walk away and say, you know what, That's I right. can't do this, so... What the heck? Forget it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's where John 10, 10 really comes in. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And I really do believe that that verse is not necessarily talking about the worldly things that we think about when we think. It's talking about those that are stuck in the yeah. church, in that culture. What's he come to do? He's come to steal our joy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. Happiness is based on our happening. If everything around us is going good, we're happy. Joy is something that only he can bring. I can tell you there's a lot of times where you're stuck in that legalism. There's no joy because you're going through the motions. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your witness. I mean, I got three youth pastors <laughs> in my life. One had an affair, but he's back in church now. One owns a bar in Florida. The other one's sitting in prison for the rest of his life for murder. And he's destroyed in certain ways, their testimony, and wow. then ultimately wants to kill their life, wants to destroy him. And you know, but in that verse would be pretty depressing if it stopped there, but it doesn't. It goes on and says, but I have come that you can have life and have life more abundantly, King James. It says you can have life more abundantly. He, he doesn't want us to live in this rat race of doing religion. He's come to give us life where we're not living for everybody's acceptance because of all the good stuff we're doing. He says, live from it. I've called you. I know you, and I love you. So, JC, I, I do have a question for you from your story. Uh, you know, performance-based yeah. uh, spirituality it's almost like a drug. Yeah. It, we become addicted to it. It's all we know. A little while back, I was, I was talking to a guy who has had a long-term cocaine addiction. Mm. And he would tell me, you know, there are times when I, I put the cocaine down and I say, I'm never doing that again. But then I hear cocaine start to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And when the voice starts speaking to me, it's like I can't help but go back to it again. So here, here's my question. So once you were, you were saved there, you know, when you said, Jesus, yeah. here I am, I'm not performing anymore. I, I can't fake it anymore. After that moment, can you maybe describe a little bit uh, about your journey of walking away from that so that you didn't keep going back to that drug? And even when that, that doubt and that performance-based mentality started talking to you like cocaine talked to this drug addict. How did you not go back to it? Yeah, I knew there were things in my life that were triggers 
that I just wasn't strong enough to overcome. That's honestly, that's why I don't sing a lot anymore because I cannot, I cannot distinguish performance from singing because everything that was driven into me from the time I was young where dad's punching me in the stomach because I'm not singing right and can't hit the right notes to, you know, it just kind of took the joy away because the happiness around it to, to, you know, performance, traveling, singing on the road. I just could not distinguish the two from preaching a sermon and somebody walking up and saying, man, that was a great message. You know, I was like, I I don't want to hear that. It does nothing for me anymore. And so I had to, on purpose, put some guardrails up, some things that would be in place that I know I'm not strong when I'm weak, man. I I mean, when I'm, when I'm at my weakest, that's where I, I look at life and I'm like, you know what? I can't stand on a stage and sing and, and know how to not take that glory. Does that make sense? And I know God knows my heart, but I know me and I'm wicked. I'm like, I'm going to take that joy. I'm going to take that bat and be like, yeah, I hit those notes, you know, but it goes back to acceptance so much. And I just had to, in all honesty, I mean, I'll lead some singing every once in a while now, but it's just like eyes closed tight. Like don't look at anybody because I used to live off the approval of their face when I was preaching, when I was singing off the, are they, are they loving this in this moment? It's just deflating when you, when you are living for man's approval over God. Is it something that went away or something you, you've struggled with and still struggle with? No, I, you know what? I think in all honesty, it intensified a little bit, Yeah. but that's why guardrails had to be put in place. And I think that's why we, I know that's why we call this recovering fundamentalist because a big thing of legalism is what everybody thinks about us. Yeah. I mean, we, we had to look a certain way when we went out in public, you know, we had to, we had to talk the right way. Why does every legalistic preacher that you hear sound exactly the same? Why do they say the same things? They're trying to win the approval. You know, when I look at it, why are we shouting? Why are we screaming? Why are we trying to outdo the other person? Mm -hmm. It's all a show. Well, you know, and it really helps when you start to understand God. I I heard this statement, you know, um, and this is kind of how I lived. God, I'm sorry I let you down. Yeah, That was a prayer I was praying constantly. Mm. I'm sorry I let you down again. I'm sorry I let you down again. But think about it. We were never holding him up. Right. Mm. We can't let him down. And then and then think about this. Before he saves us, he knows every failure yeah. that's going to exist in our lives post-salvation, which means he already knows our story. He already knows our moments. And, and so we're not surprising him when we fail. We're not surprising. He saved us knowing that we were going to fail. Yeah. And and when I finally understood that God knows me and he's, he chooses to love me in spite of knowing every detail there is to know about me. That was part of my journey. I just had to accept God. I'm loved by you. As a matter of fact, I had a, I had a church of Christ man confront me a while back and he, he basically told me, you know, that I was going to go to hell because I didn't believe in baptismal regeneration. And this is what I said to him. I said, if God, throws me into hell. He'll have to throw me into hell with my arms and my legs wrapped around the cross beam of the cross. Mm. He'll have to throw me into hell, me fully 100% believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So did you, did you kind of come to terms with that? I did. I did because it's not about performance. It's about relationship. He knows all my dirty he knows all my good. He knows all the bad. He knows everything about us, and he still loves me and accepts me. When you get to that place, there's freedom there. 
JC, I'm just amazed listening to your story. It's awesome how all of our stories are so different, mm. yet they're connected. But listening yes. to your story, man, you you have a unique part that Brian and I don't necessarily <clears throat> share, but you've got a father mm. who in certain ways is is representing God. He's your pastor, and there's some emotional, verbal, physical abuse going yeah. on there, and you're having to fight through that. Then you've got three of the most influential, if not the most influential, youth pastors in your life. Yeah. All three walked away from God. So I see how that could be so yeah. confusing. And I know your story, some of the deeper levels of it that we don't have time to share today, that you know there was a, a place in your life, just like there was in mine, where it's, you just want to say, you know what, this is all just... It's just fake. It's a bunch of bull. Yeah. And you just want to walk away. What was it that just kept you hanging on and you knew that it was real? I didn't want to be a statistic. Yeah. I mean, there's a, if it, you know, I go back to uh, just a picture of grace, how he's, he's obviously setting this up for something. Yeah. And I don't want to be a statistic. I want to, uh, you know, my, my wants changed, if you yeah. will, from, I, I don't want to end my day and look back and I'm thinking about my papa, you know, I love him. And, and as I get ready to preach his funeral tomorrow in Virginia, you can't, you can, there's a lot of people who don't like him because he stood up for what he believed in, but nobody has any bad to say about him. Yeah. How many people right wow. now are, they're coming out that they molested a kid or, you know, they had an affair or they are in prison for murder. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's, you can't say anything bad about him. He left an inheritance of that. And I got to thinking in 20 years from now, in 40 years from now, when I'm gone, what will they be able to say about yeah. J.C. Groves? That he did everything for man's approval. Man, I got a phenomenal wife who I love that God brought into our life. I got six kids that are coming behind me. I want them to know, not that dad's a good pastor. He loved our mama mm -hmm. and he loved us. And if I can instill into them just something to continue to carry on, then that's what my purpose is here. And there comes a point where, you know, I believe that me and my dad— that our relationship is going to heal. Yeah. I, I want that. You know, I, I believe in that restoration uh, there. And uh, I think ultimately I just didn't want to become a statistic because so many people in this culture just burn out and quit because they can't continue this rat race. Uh, JC, uh, in the last couple of podcasts, you've prayed for other people. Do you mind if I pray for you? Sure, man. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today for J.C. Uh, openly sharing his story, even the difficult times in the relationship uh, that he has with his dad. And Lord, this is what we know, that Christ came not only to reconcile us to God, but to give us the ministry of reconciliation. And in order for Jesus uh, to reconcile us to God, he had to lay his life down on the cross. Lord, I pray that uh, you would teach J.C., lead him, empower him to be able to lay down the hurt, to be able to lay down the walls that he built, to be able to lay down the emotional distress that he's carried. Lord, I pray that you would help him realize that you died for anything and everything that would keep he and his dad from being 100% reconciled. And I pray, Lord, that they would have the claim uh, to being best friends on this side of eternity and uh, that this side of eternity would only be them looking forward to one day walking together in eternity in heaven. And so be with JC today, his relationship with his dad, make them closer than he ever imagined they could be through the power of your cross in Jesus name. Amen. I appreciate amen. it. Thank amen. you, Brian.
As we wrap this episode up, JC, I just want to say as one of my closest and dearest buddies that when I look at your life, your life is a testimony of God's grace. Mm. You are a trophy of God's grace. And if I had to choose three words to define my buddy JC, the first one would be humble. You are a humble guy that loves your wife, loves your kids, serves the Lord. God has blessed you with so many talents, so many abilities, and yet you've given all the glory back to him and all the while fighting against that desire to to make it about you because we all struggle with that. But you are truly a humble guy, and I love that about you. The second thing is you're passionate. Mm. Man, uh, you get me and you in a studio, like people in the studios next door start telling us to be quiet yeah. because we are passionate and we've got kicked out of one studio because we were too loud and uh, had to go to a warehouse church where nobody else was around. And now, thankfully, we're here. And so far, we haven't gotten any trouble yet. Yet, But we, you're a passionate guy and you love Jesus and you love your family and you love your ministry. The third thing I would say is that you're real. Man, you are the yes, funnest human being I've ever been around. You are real, and you don't feel like you have to measure up. I've never heard you say, oh, man, what are they going to think about me if I do this? <laughs> I'm God free, has baby. set you free from that. <laughs> yeah. And that's not to say you just want to offend everybody because you don't. You care what you know. You care how yeah. you represent Christ, but you are real, and you don't have to stop and think about, oh, what did I say? How did what did I? Because you just you live life yeah. humbly, passionately. And you're authentic. And I just love that about you. And thank you for sharing your story. I know you couldn't share everything, sure. but I think this is a great stopping point because what you have shared is going to help so many yes. people. And I just, I'm, I'm proud that God has put us in the ministry together. No, we're not standing in the pulpit on this podcast, but I feel like this podcast is a platform for yeah. us to just spread the glory of Jesus Christ. And so far, a lot of what we've done has been answering the questions of our critics and talking about what we feel is the abuse of legalism. And I'm excited about getting to the content where we can start talking more about Mm. what we believe in and less about... The recovering side. Yeah, the recovering side, and and speak less about why somebody's doing it wrong. Just I want to live in the freedom and the liberty. And honestly, grace is so inviting and welcoming. Yeah. And I believe God is going to set many people free through this podcast. All right, guys, it's been a great episode today. Love the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. And it's awesome to be in partnership with J Radio. Shout out to J Radio. And we look forward to what God's going to do in the future. I think a lot of people are being helped and a lot more people are going to be helped. So I look forward to seeing you guys next week. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.